You travel fast. You would take me away from my vines and take away my last few chances of immortality. Great, sir. Be in touch. If this place meant as much to him as I believe it did, you're worse than I thought for thinking about selling it. This place just doesn't suit my life. It is your life that doesn't suit this place. Once you find something good, Max, you have to take care of it. You have to let it grow. I can't for the life of me think of why I stopped coming down here. Can I remind you, Max Skinner doesn't do weekends, take holidays. Max Skinner makes money. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that knows all the bad things you did to get your money. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed, and I'm here as always with my dubious Californian offspring, Chris File. Hello, Chris. <laughs> Dubious California offspring who is married to who is Abby Cornish married to that I always forget that she's married to in real life. Isn't her isn't she partnered with someone that you're like, really? I'm going to have to look that up. Hold on. Abby Cornish. Boy, I always forget this because she's not married, according to Wikipedia. Um, Well. In 2019, she announced her engagement to mixed martial artist Adele Altamimi. Is that who you were thinking of? Maybe she's some... Maybe she... She's connected to someone somehow. Like, she's like a... Maybe she's a cousin of someone famous. I don't... All right, let's see. Listeners, if I am confusing Abby Cornish with someone else... You might uh, be. I think you'll forgive me because who among us? I'll do is respect she, to Abby Cornish. Is she is she uh your Sienna Miller? Maybe just for me specifically. All right. Yeah, I I'm not seeing anything. Can relate. She was with Ryan Phillippe forever because she was the one who he cheated on Reese Witherspoon with allegedly. Anyway, Abby Cornish in this movie Continuing her string of dubious accents that you don't un- you don't quite get what accent she's doing for like a while into the performances into the performance yes. yes sort of like Three Billboards where it's just like there's like you're 20 minutes into her performance in Three Billboards and you're like I guess she's Irish like canonically in the movie coming and going with the Missouri breeze yeah uh, <laughs> and in this what? one in this one she's she announces herself as from California like right away and you're like oh but she's like an Australian who lives in California and you're like no and you're like but like she was raised in England I guess and like no and it's just sort of like no it's just sort of sort of in France yeah you know, like not she quite... is a creature of the world she is she a is citizen a world of the traveler globe. yeah 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 yep she uh she Abby Cornish you can speak in whatever dialect you want even if it's multiple at the same time 
we forgive your three billboards dialect because listen, you were hardly that movie's biggest problem. Listen, Abby Cornish did Bright Star. Abby Cornish gets kind of a lifetime pass for me after doing that She's movie. She's so. incredible in that incredible movie. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what I have to say about Abby Cornish. Well, to say about we'll say more when we talk about a good year. What an, uh, I did I don't think a we good realized year, a bad movie. A good year, a bad movie is kind of. Yeah, I, I want to. So maybe we'll lead with this. Forgivably bad. I don't like. Forgivably it's not offensively bad. bad. It's just so Absolutely many people. Agree. Yeah, working outside of a mode that they are well suited to, and they're making the most cliche formulaic thing. So it's like it's a passable movie, but there is not much to recommend it for. This is what's so funny to me is essentially this was. Ridley Scott doing a chill out movie where Ridley Scott was like, listen, I live in the south of France. I don't want to go very far to make my next movie. Why don't I make I don't a want movie movies that I have to have like blood and violence anymore? Why don't I make a movie that's set in like the wine country and then I can just like roll out of bed and start filming from my house essentially? And why don't I just like I'll make it with Russell Crowe again. We haven't made a movie together since Gladiator. We've wanted to. I'll, you know, I'll make it kind of a chill-out movie. It's not really going to be action-heavy. It'll be mostly sort of these, like, light comedic setups. And and you would think, then, that it would be, like, Ridley Scott working in a very comfortable mode. But it's weirdly Ridley Scott working in, like, his most uncomfortable artistic mode, which is... Yes, I would agree. ...light comedy. And all the reviews kind of clocked him for that, too. It's not like it was this, like, next-level observation that Ridley Scott isn't maybe good at doing his version of Under the Tuscan Sun or something like that. And <laughs> this movie is Under the Tuscan Sun meets We Bought a Zoo, I feel like. That's my kind of logline. It's Under the Tuscan Sun for boys. Like, Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. Under um, the Tuscan Sun for finance bros. <laughs> it's not that Ridley Scott can't do comedy because I think... The right. comedy works in The Martian. I think there's elements or there's Matchstick Men you know? is a is a decently funny movie, I feel I like. I still have to see have I seen Mat if I've seen Matchstick Men, I remember nothing, but that yeah. would be a fun movie for us to do at some point. Mm -hmm. There's still so many Ridley Scott movies we can do. Uh we're doing this because Napoleon is on its way. Who knows? Maybe this year we'll give us a yet clear antecedent to a good year is Ridley Scott's Napoleon, where he's like, they're both French, whatever. I was like, gonna say this, like he he finally cracked the code in that he figured out the movie he can still make in France. Right. It's just but about still the most do what he's good bloody at. conqueror of all time. <laughs> the real bitch would be if they somehow couldn't film the movie in France. Right. I don't know where they shot Napoleon. I actually don't um, know either. It would it would be just like really cruel to this man. If, if he had to go to Romania or something like that to film right. his yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, the cinematic center of the, I guess, cinematic uh, world, yeah. uh, Romania. So, but this is the thing shot. I wanted to lead with, with a good year, which is a good year is, I think, designed to be a sort of low lift, good vibe kind of a movie that you could watch on 
you know, a weekend, throw it up on, you know, your streaming service of choice or whatever, and just sort of vibe with it and mm-hmm. not really have to engage too hard in, like, essentially what I call, like, a good, like, cable TV movie. And it has... You can see where it's going with that, right? And it's just sort of, like, this kind of, like... We've seen this kind of character before. He's a workaholic. He's, he's you know, pitiless in his uh, financial outlook, right? He's a shark uh, in the... Only cares about money. Doesn't only, even have a hobby or a passion. Only wears suits to, you know, everything or whatever. Doesn't understand things like the Earth. And he and he's forgotten the his sort of idyllic childhood in Provence that, you know... Uh, he's now wasted that that you know charmed upbringing by becoming a finance asshole, and so now he's going to rekindle and rediscover that that uh, child within and go and find the vineyard that he grew up on, and um, sort of rediscover that version of himself. And like all of those things are designed to give you the same kind of sort of serotonin boost that I get from movies like Contact, or My Best Friend's Wedding, or A League of Their Own, or Mermaids, or Under the or Tuscan whatever. Sun. Or Under the Tuscan Sun. That's the thing. But it's like, what is it about this particular... It says it's not just a good year. It's not like a good year is not tapping into whatever formula, but like, I don't like any of these kind of movies where like finance bros make good, you know what I mean? Or like, I don't, there is something about, there is something alchemical about this, uh, this genre of movies where it's like, it's sort of like why I'm sort of jealous of people who can vibe with Elizabeth town, even though Elizabeth town is not technically a good movie, Elizabeth town, not being a good movie should still be something I can vibe with. But, like, there is something... This that... movie isn't even working as hard as Elizabeth Town is, though. Oh, Elizabeth Town is working harder than 12 movies. That's the thing about Elizabeth Town. <laughs> but... You have to respect that about Elizabeth Town. This yeah. movie, it's just, like, it's... I, I don't know. Uh, Ridley Scott, I don't think of someone who can kind of lazily go through plot points. And that is something that I do enjoy and respect in other movies, where it's yeah. just, like... It's so laid back about moving this plot forward, but like Ridley Scott is not a chill guy. No, uh, despite uh, uh, his home life in France. No, uh, Ridley Scott is very, very, very much not a chill. guy. At least his movies, you know, they're very methodical. They are very uh, yeah. forward momentum. Uh, even when they're not good, something like Body of Lies. I will say one thing we can maybe get into later that I was a little bit surprised by. For as much as I was not vibing with this movie, I really liked Marion Cotillard in this movie, and I don't always like her, even when other people do like her. So, like, that was kind of interesting. It was the uh, rare laid-back Marion Cotillard performance, it and we'd love to see that. It was. Yeah, I'd like to see her in this mode again. We kind of never see her in this mode. Like, rom-com Marion Cotillard would be, like, kind of interesting. Sure, 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 sure. I we do should go think... into her filmography later on. I feel like that would be an interesting one. We have is... so few opportunities this to This is the year her, before so her, her Oscar, which was sort of seen as a come-out-of-nowhere breakthrough Oscar. But, like, she had been in this, she had been in Big Fish. This was the thing that drove me wild about her 
Oscar run that year and her Oscar campaign. And people were like, no, you've seen her before. We've all seen her in a good year. As if we have all seen a good year. Notorious bomb. A good year. Yes, we have all seen that movie. We know this actress. It, wild to me. And, like, she's weirdly kind of not in that much of this movie i feel like abby cornish is a more significant character plot wise certainly yes like abby cornish has much more to do with the plot yeah yeah Um, the the romance is kind of rushed and then at the end and kind of perfunctory we you know discover oh they've always been in love with each other that little revelation i was like you this is a hat on a hat people like this is this does not need to be here we didn't need it no need it we absolutely didn't need it it's this idea that he's become the person he was always supposed to be by supposed to be freddie highmore romance with her supposed to grow up and be the good doctor and um he instead became the bad finance guy (laughs) also this thing taught me something which is every time they show those shots of like the london skyline or whatever those sweeping shots of like past the like the london eye and all this other sort of stuff i'm always curious what that big sort of elongated suppository looking building that faberge egg looking um building is and apparently that's where they keep all the like jackass finance bros so like that's cool Good, good, good to know that. <laughs> Keep them in there and don't let them leave. And they don't let them leave. You are trapped uh, inside this Fabergé egg forever. Listen, when I want UK finance bros and uh, women, I watch industry. Okay, you get two minutes to tell me why I should g- give industry another shot, because I did not like industry in this first season. Uh, industry evolves very interestingly. I do think that the season two cliffhanger is awesome. I mean, not awesome like, I'm happy that happened, but like, that was a wild and unexpected cliffhanger, Uh uh, that also the season very methodically hid in plain sight was coming, you know, it makes sense. Uh, I think the characters are actually interesting. I love Mahila Harrod's performance, um, yeah, like, and I also think the show doesn't dumb down finance stuff, but a dumb dumb like me can fully understand what's happening because it's always the emotional stakes of the characters, like as they're doing finance business. Maybe I have, maybe I just have such a problem with finance. Maybe that's my thing is that like, any because we'll we'll get into we'll probably get into it when we do our Scorsese draft when I talk about The Wolf of Wall Street, another movie that I don't really like as much as other people like. And I'm giving you too much information about the Scorsese draft. This is bad. Um I'm gonna use it all against I know, I know, I know you're not to be trusted. Um but like that was one of my biggest problems with industry is like I was so like blah, 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 whenever they would start talking about like finance stuff or like or you know the actual like mechanics of their jobs. And the only other thing that was left was, like, hot queer sex, and that just, like, became diminishing <laughs> returns for that after the first couple episodes. And Well, I mean, I think as the show has gone on, they've done a really incredible job just in terms of writing with the plotting of yeah. when they have to do finance things becomes so connected to the emotional arc of these characters that, like... Mm-hmm. 
you'll understand the terms of what's happening on some level. If you don't understand what it means for, you know, the business, you do understand right. what it means for them and their standing in the company or the tr- or their job sure. or, you know, sure. more personal They work stakes. at MacGuffin Industries or whatever. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. All right. Okay. Maybe I'll give it a shot because Lord knows it's... I can tell when a TV show is about to go from, like, annoying little pockets of people who are over-invested, not you, but other people. Um, it's to, nice to be chill to something, about loving industry. Well, you are the only person who's chill about loving industry. Everybody else is so fucking hype and annoying about loving industry. Um but it does feel like that show is on the precipice of maybe like becoming more widely appreciated when it comes back for its third season. Yeah, I don't necessarily want this show. I mean, like, I want success for everyone involved in the uh-huh, show. I don't uh-huh. want it to become TV monoculture in a way that, you know, like, I, I, I like, I like checking in with my stories. I don't like <laughs> it overrunning the culture. You don't want too many memes about industry every morning. Unless every it's Monday like morning. succession level great. I don't think industry is succession level That's great. That's the thing. But yeah. like, there's not been a lot of shows that I think are in recent years. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Why don't you tell our listeners about our Patreon? You've got me saying Patreon now. I don't think that's how we pronounce it, but it's fine. Um, I say, bu- listen, I am from the Midwest. We sometimes switch our hard and soft A's. Buffalo is sort of Canadian Midwest. Like, Buffalo is sort of like, sometimes we're part of Canada, sometimes we're part of the Midwest. Rarely are we part of uh, as New York State as people think we are. It's but, um, what kind of Midwest? Can you say that again for me? What did I... I, I can't remember. What do you, you what said it you was Canadian Midwest? Why? Is Canadian not the way we say Canadian? Do you say no, Canadian? No, sometimes you just do, like, little bits of Canadian dialect to sneak in, and I do love it when it happens. Well, it's... My buffalo comes out in my vowels. My buffalo comes out in the times when I sound like I'm from Chicago a little bit, where it's like, wow. I'll hit those flat those flat A's. This is just what happens to your mouth movement and your tongue movement when you live near a lake. When I'm back here long enough, it's, um, I'm trying to think of like the most Buffalo. Buffalo used to, there was, A&E used to have a TV show years ago called Confessions of a Matchmaker. And it was a reality show set in Buffalo with this matchmaker. And her name was Patty Novak. I'm Patty Novak and welcome to Buffalo. And that's like, and that's, we're not quite as like Minnesota about it, but it's like, there's a, there's a flattening of the vowels that really happens when you say Patty Novak. And, um, this is just the sound of living by a lake. That's just what I'm going to throw it out. One of my favorite bands when I was younger was a band from Toronto who would come down here and perform. And they would, the one time, um, uh, 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 I can't remember who it was from. It was maybe Lawrence. Lawrence uh, from the lowest of the low, who uh, I've corresponded with um, before, would make fun of the way Buffalo people said blockbuster because it sounds like blackbuster. Because it's like it's just like the you would hit the O so flat and it's just like blockbuster. We'll go to blockbuster a little we'll bit. Go to yeah, Hollywood yeah. video. See, you're doing th- yeah. It's 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 easy to tip it a little bit into. Minnesota. Minnesota. It's but like it's it's like it's like not carbonated. Minnesota. It's a little bit like the Bears, a little bit the way that like you know yeah. remember the, like the SNL sketch. But it's there's it's an interesting 
it's an interesting little uh little regional dialect where what uh, every once in a while I'll see a local ad and I'll just sort of chuckle and I'm like, oh my god, that's the buffaloest ad I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> uh North Tanawanda. Um that's sort of uh, uh all of the suburbs in Buffalo are like very susceptible to like going to Cheektawaga. Um so anyway I might that's... ask you to just name various types of wine with the most <laughs> buffalo <laughs> accent. Chardonnay. Possible. Um. All right. Oh yeah, she has a good Pinot Grigio. The ya yeah is Minnesota. I the ya yeah is definitely it. Minnesota. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. a Pinot Grigio. Yeah. Buffalo also has, especially like the areas where uh, I grew up. There was a lot of like used guys, like uh, a lot of um. I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll, I do have. I I get some like Pittsburgh sneak in. Because ah. my grandmother's from Pittsburgh, so we grew up with a lot of yuns and yoins. Um, what is yoins? Yuns is singular. That is and how is Pittsburgh. Plural? My grandmother is bitch. She will pull out a yoins. She will pull out a yoins. <laughs> What's the thing that Philly people say? John. That John. That to me is so funny to me when you have like actual like words that don't exist. Like when your regional accent is so strong that you actually have words that don't exist, like John. John as in like J O H N. J A W N, where it's just like that that What are you referring to with John? It's what, that's what their that like that's to? their like catch all word for just like, oh man, like it's I that genuinely thing? don't know. I can't speak for Philadelphians. I shouldn't. I shouldn't try and speak for Philadelphians. But we um, should immediately call up Christina and be like, "Christina, we should. That. We should." Uh, what's that, John? Um, anyway, explain to what's our listeners John? about uh, <laughs> the said Oscar Buzz turbulent brilliance. Uh, listeners, uh, as you know, we have launched a Patreon recently. We want you to come over and join us over on this head Oscar Buzz turbulent brilliance. $5 a month, you're gonna get two bonus episodes, and then we also are doing call-in episodes, uh, which we just recently started. The first of those planned episodes are what we call exceptions. These are movies that fit the This Had Oscar Buzz rubric. We've always been having people to ask us to do movies that feel like this had Oscar buzz movies, but did get a nomination or two. Now they're here. They're over on the Patreon. They come the first of every month. We started it off with nine. Most recently, we've done an Australia episode with our first Patreon guest, Katie Rich. Also episodes on Pleasantville, The Lovely Bones, which was selected by our subscribers. Yeah. And then we also have on the 15th of every month, so shortly this week after this episode drops uh we have excursion episodes these are discussions that like deep dive into oscar ephemera such as actress roundtables or uh we just well this week we're about to have a recap of the 1996 mtv movie awards anything that we obsess about on the show Mm -hmm. we do special episodes for that including our first one was a magic Mike live experience when I went there. Uh, so sign up on patreon.com slash this had Oscar buzz. Join us for the turbulent brilliance. Thank you, Chris. Very good. Um, all right. Back to a good year. We, I mentioned the thing about how Rid- Ridley Scott genuinely sort of reverse engineered this movie, kind of, where like Ridley Scott had an idea for a movie. He, um, went to the novelist Peter Mayle and is like, I have this idea for a movie. Why don't you write it up as a novel? And I will, then I will option your novel and I will make your, <laughs> make this as a movie. 
Um, and I'm not entirely sure why he decided to do that rather than just sort of like going directly to a screenwriter, but like, okay. And then like changed a bunch of shit from the novel anyway. To make it more like movie-esque. Yeah. Uh, you can also see how this might be a more enjoyable novel because if you're yeah. reading this kind of very familiar story, you know, part of the experience of a novel is the language. Yeah. The, you know, the things that don't necessarily work the same way, like how you can go in and out of memories. Whereas in this movie, it feels like, yeah, I read that there, they almost initially thought of having Albert Finney be a ghost. And it's like, he's not, not a, he's ghost. not, not like, a ghost anyway. Right. When you see the flashbacks, it's like, it's, you know, it's, it, it's also very corny. Cause it's like literally Russell Crowe goes into a hallway and he's like, I used to play like uh, pickleball or whatever that was with Albert Finney when I was Freddie Highmore. When I was, well, that's okay. This is the other thing is obviously Russell Crowe uh, gets cast in this because he and Ridley had done Gladiator together. It's their second of this would kick off a string of like four movies in five years that uh, that Russell Crowe and Ridley Scott would do together, where it was like this. And then Body of Lies. No, this, then American Gangster, then Body of Lies, then uh, Robin Hood. Like, boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. American what... Gangster, at least, was a su- successful financial hit in all right. of that. Right. But none of these were really satisfying to critics. Russell Crowe, I think, is very miscast in this movie. I think it's it's I want to talk about it. <laughs> we'll talk about it on the other end of the plot description actually yes, we should. Please. Um but like I think he's really out of place. He also does not scan as the adult version of Freddie Highmore in any way. Like there's no. it's really kind of funny to imagine that we're supposed to buy that Freddie Highmore grew up to be Russell Crowe. And I know I'm like, like Freddie Highmore grew up to be Tom Hollander. What are you talking about? One hundred percent. That should have been the twist at the end of the movie that Tom Hollander was <laughs> the heir the entire time. I love Tom Hollander. He's very good in this movie. Um we are almost at Six Timers Club for Tom Hollander. I can't wait to do a Six Timers Club on Tom Hollander. That'll be very funny. We'll All get right. there. I'm sure we will. Uh, we're going to have you, Chris, do the 60-second plot of A Good Year, which for will sure. either be five seconds worth of plot, and you'll just sort of, like, faff around for a little while, or it's going to be, <laughs> like, we'll get to the 40-second mark, and he's just arrived in Provence, so... Um, we'll see how it goes. So we're talking I'm about not good at this. This is no. our second straight 2006 movie. I don't know if we sort of uh, full accident, full accident. Yeah, I um, thought that there were. I initially, in my mind, before we planned this, thought that there was more time between Gladiator and a good year, but there's only six years. Yeah, yeah. Well. Also, Inside Man, which we did last time, does not feel like a 2006 movie, as we ex- as we explained. Like Inside yeah. Man feels like a 2012 movie, and A Good Year definitely does feel aughts, aughtsy. Um, yes. Anyway, though, um, we're talking about A Good Year, directed by Ridley Scott, written by Mark Klein, based on the novel by Peter Mayle, which was essentially dictated <laughs> by Ridley Scott in the first place, starring <laughs> Russell Crowe, Marion Cotillard... Abby Cornish, Albert Finney, Didier Bourdon, Isabel Candelier, Freddie Highmore, Archie Punjabi, Archie Punjabi's hilarious wig, 
Archie uh, Punjabi is fully winning the bob off in this movie. Oh my she... god, the business bob on Archie Punjabi is not taking any prisoners in this movie. Holy shit. The, the, the business bob on Archie Punjabi is where she keeps all of her secrets about Juliana Margulies. Like, that is, <laughs> that is what I'm talking about. She's, she, she kept it from this movie and that's her secrets bob. Um, Rafe's ball. I always find Rafe's ball so darling, even when he's playing, uh, a little shit like he is in this movie. The would be villain of the movie. Tom Hollander. It premiered September 9th, 2006 at the Toronto International Film Festival. I do want to, I'm, I'm making a note to open up a little tab on the 2006 Toronto Film Festival just to see what the, what the lay of the land was there. It opened wide inadvisably uh, on, I guess you don't platform something like this. This should, this should appeal to a wide audience. It just didn't. Uh, opened wide on November 10th, 2006. Chris, are you ready? Sure. And go. All right. So Russell Crowe is a finance bro in the UK. He gets news that his uh, beloved, but hasn't spoken to him in years, uncle has died. And uh, his he has to go to the French estate of this uncle uh, to like basically settle uh, affairs. Turns out when he gets there, it's a semi rundown, but there's a vineyard being run uh, by this man named Francis. They butt heads immediately. He almost runs Marion Cotillard over with his car. There Put a pin in that, and uh, then Abby Cornish shows up, and she is claiming to be the uh, uh, the son of his uncle, Not the making son, her the rightful heir of this estate, or the daughter of uh, Sorry. this uncle, Sorry. Uh, and uh, the. Uh, a rightful heir of this estate, but he basically, you know, fabricates some stuff to be like, that's not true, so that he can sell it. And uh, over time, he begins to fall in love with Marion Cotillard and be like, actually, Abby Cornish might deserve this place. So he forges a letter to make her, uh, to like say that it's from the uncle that uh, confirming all of this birthright stuff. And then he also goes back to the UK, settles affairs, and basically quits his job, comes back and says, Marion Cotillard, we will live together in France. 16 seconds over. Not bad. Sorry I had to interject there, but it was... Uh, I've done that before I on the podcast where into, I like say something I, and I'm like, that wasn't right. <laughs> uh, you know, like you just go into the blank space. You yes. go into a white space of clouds when you're in a panic trying to give yeah. a full plot of a movie within 60 seconds. So It's true. Whatever. It Listeners would have understood. Have you seen... Have you watched this third season of Only Murders in the Building? Not yet. You I gotta need to do catch it. up. I think you'd really love it. I really. I'm love sure it. I will. I'm I sure it was I will. So good. All right. This we can't. We can't talk. I almost was like, Meryl is in season three. We got to talk about the uh, the split, and we we kind of already talked about it. But no, like, we're going to talk about Meryl and Don Gummer in every episode going forward. That is our. That is the the offering that we give to the universe. That we. I did see the best tweet I think I've seen about it. Um, which was, I believe, from Jackson McHenry, what who Jackson say? said something to the extent of, this has been a test of the emergency gummer system. <laughs> it did feel like we all sort of, like, all our phones started bleeping. Everybody the same has collectively lost their minds in the past 36 hours. We want nothing but happiness. We're going to find a way to blame this on Louisa and her performance in the Gilded Age that, like, I don't know, we're going to... Gay people certainly will. They certainly Um, will. Gay people were so mean to Louisa Jacobson about the Gilded Age. It was very funny. 
Why do? Uh, why does everybody still watch that show? Oh, everybody it's like, seems to hate it, but like they no, feel like they compelled. It's to... pure dumb serotonin. It's like liquid dumb, like injected into your veins. But it's so good. It's like okay. it's costumes. It's Christine Baranski saying mean things. It's Carrie Coon like slaying. It's Carrie Coon having a hot husband. It's um who in real life is Rebecca Hall's hot husband. That's true, Morgan Spector. Morgan Spector, Morgan Morgan something, right? Spector. Spector, okay. Yeah. Um the Bills have a player named Balen Spector, which is why I was like, wait a second. And it's so funny because you Maybe say it related. If you say it quickly, it sounds like Bale Inspector. Um anyway, uh the two thousand six Toronto Film Festival did not have any uh gala presentations for Meryl Streep, so Don Gummer was not there uh, in any way. Okay, so... Do we think Don Gummer would like this movie? I don't think he would. Maybe Don Gummer's been living in Provence for the last six years, and 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 we just didn't know about it. The worst theory that I heard was from my friend Jordan, who I don't even think believes this, but, like, put it out into the universe, was that I mentioned that, like, this would track to, like, six years ago, would track to, like, shortly after the Trump election. And he's like, who did Don vote for? And I'm like, shut no, up. Stop. No, stop. No, no, stop. No. no. Yeah. He and Meryl have been together for over 40 years. No. No, no. Meryl right. would know Don's politics. I agree. He's a sculptor. He's not a Republican. <laughs> he's also he's a what sculptors vote for Trump? Like no. All right. No. Listen, I'm with you. I'm with you. Just saying, Jordan. No, really that was notice. just a rough time for all. It broke. Yeah. Everyone and everything. Yes, broke me. We all want right. happiness for both of them. So, so whatever path forward. Makes them happen. A good year premiered as a gala presentation at 2006 TIFF. I'm going to list for you the other gala presentations at TIFF. So to imagine that, like, I imagine these would have all been at the Princess of Wales at the time because the Roy Thompson Hall didn't exist. No, it was Roy Thompson for galas then. Oh, it was. Roy Thompson is is is, is that old? Okay, okay. Um, so imagine then you're at the. Frankly, ridiculous looking Roy Thompson Hall, which looks like the top hat in very weird place to see a movie. Um, or it looks like weirdly like it looks like actually the spinning top that uh, at the end of Inception (laughs) a little bit. Um, the seats feel like gymnasium seats. Susanna Beers after the wedding, which is the one that ends up from Denmark after the wedding. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, right, that's right, that's why I remember it because Salma says it. Steve aliens out all the king's men we've we've done an episode on it michael apted's amazing grace which is the one with yoan griffith who's like i wrote amazing grace the song um sarah polly's away from her which i'm imagining must have amazing. been like met with just people falling off of buildings so happy for their favorite daughter sarah polly it was just like you know what i mean just like people Throwing confetti into the air as they just like walked down King Street or something like that. Um, what a moment that must have been for Canada. Uh, Alejandro Gonzalez Inyaritu's Babel, which went on to Best Picture nomination. Um, The Banquet, the Chinese film The Banquet, Paul Verhoeven's Black Book, which I want to see what the swells uh, at TIFF. <laughs> At the gala premiere, as the thought walking out of Black Book. Um, Emilio Estevez's Bobby. Bobby! Um, 
Bonneville, that movie I weirdly think about a lot because it was Jessica Lange and Joan Allen and Kathy in Bates a car, right? taking a taking a road trip in a in a Chevy Bonneville. Um, Anthony Mangala is breaking and entering. Good movie. Barbara Koppel's Dixie Chicks uh, documentary, Dixie Chicks Shut Up and Sing. Uh, which, by the way, this is what sort of what I mean about like concert movies. Which, like, that wasn't even a full concert movie. That was like no, it was a documentary. But like, if that couldn't get nominated, you know, that year, I don't know, whatever. Um, it's not happening for Taylor, is what I'm saying. Uh, Christopher Guest's For Your Consideration, which we've said <laughs> before, will be the last movie we One ever our- do. Whenever yeah. we whenever we decide to end this podcast, that will be the last episode of uh, this at Oscar was for your consideration. Ridley Scott's a good year. Douglas McGrath is infamous, which we've done an episode on. Um, a Canadian Danish film called The Journals of Knud Rasmussen. I've never heard of, but cool. Um, Go off. <laughs> a French film called Montmeur Ami. Ami. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Um, My lover of mine. I don't know what milieu is. All right. Uh, the Indian film Never Say Goodbye. Uh, the Christina Ricci has a pig nose movie, Penelope, that I believe was the first movie Reese Witherspoon produced, or an early Reese Witherspoon produced uh, film. Pedro Almodovar's Volver, and uh, the Canadian film The White Planet which is a documentary about wildlife in the Arctic. So it's a documentary about, no, I'm not good. So you're going into that tiff, put yourself into that headspace. What are the, like, what are the tickets you need to have of those gala presentations as like, Volver. I would agree that like, at that point, I obviously want to see Volver. I think putting myself Egg in that on position, everyone's face, but like the ticket everybody needed to have was all the King's men. And like, I would have been salivating for all the King's Men, that cast, my goodness. Um, and then, two, like, 15 minutes into the movie, it's very, oh, no. And oh, then, no. honestly, I would have been hyped for Bobby, is the other thing. I would have been so fucking hyped for Bobby. Um, I would have hoped that I would have had enough foresight to see away from her, because I loved Sarah Polly so much as an actress. Mm-hmm. But um, because that movie kind of, that buzz sort of emanated from the TIFF premiere i believe um obviously i'm falling all over myself to see the new christopher guest movie and i would have been disappointed disappointed um i probably would have absolutely needed to see bonneville because it's you know three three actresses three middle-aged actresses on a road trip like what is more (laughs) um what is more directed right to me i would have wanted to see penelope this would have been an interesting year of me like try making a point to go see movies that were like a little disappointing this is maybe not a great gala lineup for tiff like at from i mean the gala lineups i mean this one i feel like is a like kind of a mishmash of actually some really um, incredible stuff but like uh, i feel like if something's selected for a gala anymore it is a little bit of a red flag <laughs> Okay, but like this was a different era of TIFF, though. I feel like this was TIFF when they had a stronger hand. A sure, little bit, right? sure. This is coming off of things like Far from Heaven being galas. Mm-hmm. You know, the Midnight Madness lineup is is maybe more interesting because the Midnight Madness has both Bong Joon Ho's the host and uh, Borat. <laughs> Borat is one. This of is the... the notorious Borat year, yeah, where it's like the print broke, so like oh, Michael I didn't hear about that. Moore- 
Oh, you didn't know about the okay, so yeah. Borat, the big premiere, Sasha Baron Cohen shows up in character as Borat and I think like arrives on a wooden cart being <laughs> pulled by women. <laughs> ha ha, wasn't that so funny? Right. Um the print breaks like fifteen minutes into the movie with a sold out midnight crowd that's like really hyped. Mm-hmm. Sasha Baron Cohen has already like gone out and hyped up the crowd. And who was it? It was like Michael Moore and someone else oh, goes up on stage and just starts doing like a live Q&A to keep people in the theater while they're trying to fix the projector. Oh, and I think they ultimately can't and they have to reschedule the movie somehow. Oh, man. From a Midnight Madness movie at that. Um, 2006 version of Michael Moore talking about the impending midterms. Let's see if I can find uh, this. In America. <laughs> um, that's fasc- fascinating. Fascinating. God, see, it, it's coming out in me already. Um, all right. I feel like we've talked about Russell Crowe a ton. So maybe we, uh, we also should mention that Ridley Scott is our most frequently covered director but i also feel like lots of room to grow his filmmaker is so his filmography is so dense that like we could still end up i want to talk about like this particular era of this sort of aughts era of uh ridley scott because he does gladiator in 2000 it wins best picture but he doesn't win best director the very next year he gets a lone director nomination for black hawk down which in many ways felt like an apology of just sort of like sorry ridley like here's an extra here's right, an extra director right. nomination for your trouble that movie was also a very late arrival very late too. in 2001 yes or er, very early in 2001 was hannibal which is a bad movie that we have talked about fun Movie. Bad movie. That we have covered. Uh, Matchstick Men was his next movie after Black Hawk Down that came in 2003. That's Nicolas Cage and Sam Rockwell as con men of sure. sorts. And Alison Pill is also there. I think it's a good movie. Alison Lohman. Alison Lohman. I do that all the fucking time. I, I, I dare anybody else to judge me for that, though, because that's a that, that to me is a natural mistake. Uh, ten years later, Alison Pill would have been playing that role. Okay. Um, Kingdom of Heaven 2005, a movie I feel like I should watch again because I don't think I've watched this like vaunted director's cut of Kingdom of Heaven. It's supposed yeah, to be the, the good director's one. cut that is significantly longer for yeah. this already very long movie. That movie had, I mean, that movie was a summer movie. Yeah. Very, very expensive. Right. People didn't like. It, the and the then... problem with a movie like that is it's a long movie that you didn't like, and then they're like, ah, but the good version of it is even longer. And you're like, that's a lot. That's an act of faith. That is a leap of faith that you're taking <laughs> for like this movie that I didn't like. And it's like, what if I watch an even longer version of this movie that I didn't like that I'm told will unlock the key to it being good? And Well, it also unlocks the thing, the key to it making sense and... That so like I trust that the longer version is better and like Ridley Scott is the you know pinnacle of the director's cut is better because of Blade Runner so. right 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 that's true um, I mentioned the four four consecutive Russell Crowe movies then he embarks upon starting with a good year American Gangster Body of Lies Robin Hood um, they basically don't stop working together 
And then they haven't since. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, He gets back on the alien train in 2012 with Prometheus, a very good trailer that ended up being, I thought, a fairly frustrating movie, but like some people really love it. The Counselor, which you and I kind of disagree on. um, (laughs) Which I think is kind of You think is a masterpiece, and I think is a mess. Um, Exodus Gods and Kings, which is like a human collar pull of a movie where like the whole movie is just like, ooh, (laughs) Um, Uh, and also just like a movie that nobody wanted. And it's just like Ridley Scott just keeps making these large scale movies to make the large scale movie. And yeah, yeah. 2015 is his most, is his, uh, like, objectively speaking, biggest success since Gladiator, essentially, in terms of the Martian. Mm -hmm. Um, Oscar success, it was a popular movie. It's a crowd pleaser. I know a lot of people got on this movie's case for being too much of an awards player, like, for for being too over-rewarded or whatever. I don't know. I, and I think it's calling a fun movie. itself a comedy, which I think well, is perfectly fine. I also yeah. think it's an example. Like it does stand in comparison to a good year, and like The Martian is the type of comedy that, uh, you know, Ridley Scott can do well, and that it's like mm-hmm. it's incredibly plot focused, and then he yeah. it comes down to casting and putting witty, allowing witty people to be witty so it's like it yeah. ultimately becomes funny and well, like drew, drew goddard wrote that screenplay and drew goddard knows what he's doing um right it's the same thing as like thelma and louise thelma and louise yeah. is not a comedy it's not i wouldn't call it a funny movie yeah but the chemistry of those two actresses and the circumstances that ridley scott creates yeah allows for like some of their dialogue between the two of them to be funny because right. they're funny performers Follows that up in 2017 with Alien Covenant, which is a movie that asks the question, what if the dumbest people imaginable went into space and encountered (laughs) the alien from Alien? I really like this movie, actually, for as much as it does frustrate me that, like, the the space, the human space travelers just, like, make the absolute least uh, well-advised decisions at all. It's all not possible the same moments. movie as Prometheus, but I do think it doubles down on some of Prometheus' ideas, like in a very good conscious way, of yeah. But you didn't get it in Prometheus, so it's like yeah, the people are supposed to be dumb because we as humans are dumb, and it's like uh, okay. I, I but it also doubles down on the Michael Fassbender thing, like literally doubles down on the. Michael I mean, Fassbender is Michael thing. Fassbender doubling down on Michael Fassbender? It's Michael it, Fassbender you know, doubling down on himself, like sort of in this movie a little bit. Like that's I mean. Yeah, I was gonna say. More importantly, this is a movie that asks, "What if Michael Fassbender kissed himself?" Like, and the, uh, these are the fundamental questions of existence that I want a movie to be answering. So, I like Alien Covenant. It's a very watchable movie. Um, he also does All the Money in the World, which is another very, very late in the year release. So late in the year that they had time to recast the uh, <laughs> the uh, one of the leads uh, after Kevin Spacey got canceled, and they decided to reshoot with Christopher Plummer. And everybody in Hollywood was like, "Wanted." Hollywood was so impressed that he was be that he was able to pull that fast one that they were like, "Hey, here's an Oscar nomination for Christopher Plummer for your trouble." Um, Christopher Plummer, I I like that movie a lot. This is the movie the ridley scott movie that like ridley scott movies sometimes are falling into especially later they're following later in his career they it's so like formulaic and like lacks a little bit of life that i don't think is true in this movie i think michelle williams is fantastic 
I think you forget about Mark Wahlberg, which is sometimes Mark Wahlberg is such a drag for. on this movie. He's he's a millstone around this movie's neck. I genuinely Plumber feel like. is great. I think it's probably a better movie just having Plumber rather than Spacey because you have someone who is that age. Like we had the trailers for Spacey being in it with all that heavy makeup, and people were like. Yeah. rolling their eyes at how bad it looked in the first place yeah so, like yeah no i mean like but like i i i i would stand up for this movie i think it's pretty good he doesn't make another movie until 2021 when he releases two count him two movies in the same year where did you come down on the last duel house of gucci dichotomy uh last duel has a lot going for it i don't ultimately think it's super successful. Last Gucci, I think, is the same. Last, Last Gucci. Gucci. <laughs> Last Gucci. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The final these movies Gucci. also released within like a month of each other. Because yeah. Last Duel was mostly filmed before the pandemic. Right. And then they finished filming. Right. House of Gucci, they were like, what can we film during the pandemic? And they're like, well, go up to like the snowy Alps. <laughs> And just film Lady Gaga skiing for two hours. Me, got it. From sequence to sequence, Last Gucci. You keep saying Last Gucci. Oh my it's god, so I funny. did it again. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Last Gucci is the sequel to Las Vegas. House of Duel, um, Last Gucci. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> House of Gucci, from sequence to sequence, I think varies so wildly. So wildly. In quality, so wildly. In quality. Absolutely true. Um, Absolutely true. I would also believe that House of Gucci has a four-hour cut that is significantly better, too. I would because, absolutely like, believe that. House of Gucci, I can't... I'm like, Ridley Scott just keeps making these unwieldy things that, like, to make a coherent movie where all of these plot threads are, like, mm-hmm. successfully produced like you know from end to end it's got to be four hours long like house of gucci so much feels incomplete and you can just see that there is a you know there's a version of this where it's not so truncated i agree with that i kept there were there were many moments in house of gucci where i just wanted them to keep pushing it and keep going bigger and more which is why i love jared leto in that movie most of all because i think he's the what <laughs> he's the performance that's giving me what i want which is just like trash just give me like more and more trash yeah he's giving you luigi's castle <laughs> yeah. yes the last duel i will say though i walked into the last duel with my arms somewhat crossed and being like all right like whatever um, affleck is so good in it <laughs> the last duel i loved and I was so impressed by, I think Ridley Scott, I think Nicole Hollison are doing the screenplay, uh, or, or committing, contributing as much as she did to the screenplay, right? Cause it was a, she was brought in later into the process. To the process of uh, Matt Damon and Ben Damon Affleck and doing Affleck. the, yeah, yeah. Because they really wanted, uh, a woman's perspective writing that third of the story. It pays off. I think the, I think Ridley Scott has a really strong handle on balancing those three perspectives. I think everybody in it is good. Affleck is a scream. And I'm, a lot of the times I'm really resistant to Ben Affleck optimism. I think sometimes people give him a very, very low bar to clear, uh, pop culturally. And, uh, but I thought in this movie, he's excellent. But, like, Driver's good. Matt Damon giving an absolutely vain, vanity-free performance as, like, the s- most spineless little weasel in the entire world. Mm-hmm. Um, Jodie Comer's great. I really love The Last Duel. I think that's 
of the two movies that year, that's absolutely his better one. And it kind of got pushed yeah. aside because they were going to make an awards run for House of Gucci that ultimately didn't uh, didn't work aside from one it category. It also feels like it got somewhat pushed aside because it was a 20th century movie. Yeah. And Disney, I don't know, does not really seem to know what to do with those movies. Love that Disney Definitely bought 20th on Century Fox race, and then like, like had no interest in doing anything with 20th Century Fox. Like, good purchase there, assholes. Right, um, right. And I know it was like, you know, cornering the market or whatever and getting like the X-Men IP so that you can do, you know, more Marvel shit with it or whatever. But so like, you can do Deadpool 3? Like, right, exactly. I don't know. When that movie comes out, I don't know if people are going to care. We'll see. I think it's going to make more money than we want it to make, honestly. I think it's probably going to make more money than like... Soon as they put out a trailer where you know, Hugh Jackman is being Wolverine, about to. like I think, I think, I think it's going to sell itself. But anyway, we talked about Gladiator two in relation to Denzel Washington last week uh, with Inside Man, so we don't need to talk about that again. But I am oddly intrigued for Gladiator Winds of the North or whatever it's going to be called. Um, <laughs> let's talk about Napoleon though, which is one of the like remaining question marks in this award season as we are recording this. Like we don't we don't really know a ton about how good or bad it is. I think people have started to see it. I've seen I've started to see some reactions to it. Um I've only seen positive many. reactions, but I I mean, it's also probably the type of thing that people can say they liked it, but they can't go into detail, so it's hard to know how effusive it was. I feel like we would be hearing more if it was effusive. Do you feel like more and more that these movies that get held out to the last to the last stage i mean whatever we're still only in october as we record this um so it's not like napoleon is like waiting until december but it does feel like by waiting so long by skipping the fall festivals is napoleon putting a lot of onus on itself to be really impressive to sort of break up what are becoming the kind of like oh these are your oscar contenders these are the ones we're going to have to pay attention to this year. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's hard because I think there's maybe a little bit overconfidence in Ridley Scott's stature with a lot of these movies that we've mentioned. And, you know, no, you know, I don't think people are as excited for them. People will go and see these movies, but Oh yeah. There's, I don't think there's much, you know, there's not like the expectation that we've had that like, Maybe this is a bad example, but like Spielberg doing West Side Story, yeah, you know, which skipped festivals uh-huh. and, uh, yep. you know, people were anticipating that because we want to see that director tell that story. And mm-hmm. I don't really know if we have any of that with Ridley Scott. And I think it's partly because like we want to we don't want to see the same movie over and over which even the good ones it feels like he's made that movie before (laughs) the unfortunate thing is we're here today talking about a movie where he didn't do that and it's not and it's not how i mean i will say i would probably jump to watch this movie again than some of those other movies that it's like you know it's ridley scott doing a ridley scott thing sure that's interesting i don't know i think i would watch the Martian before this, I'd watch Alien Covenant before this, I'd probably watch Prometheus before this. I'd watch The Counselor before this, even though I don't think it's 
that good. Um, I'd watch both The Last Duel and House of Gucci. Here, all right, but to bring it back to a good year, we've talked, we sort of re- alluded to that we don't think Ridley Scott is good in this mode of comedy. Expand on that, maybe, for our listeners a little bit. It's just such a soft lob. Like, it doesn't <laughs> feel like he knows when to punctuate comedy. Mm-hmm. And I do think... I. I wonder what this movie would be like if it was someone that wasn't Russell Crowe, because I do think a lot of that problem is Russell Crowe, who is not funny in this movie. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, what English actor... That's the other thing, is he sort of, like, seems very out of place as this, like, English stock trader guy. Where are the obstacles in this movie? Where what is to overcome over than right. himself? And when he does overcome basically himself and his nature, it happens very easily. So much of but, this movie is about him trying to sell this vineyard, and it's like, but you don't need to sell this vineyard. There's no real actual urgency for you to sell this vineyard as quickly as you want to, or as like, or or at all, like. You're this to me feels like a drop in the bucket for you. You're this like weird tycoon master of the universe type person. It's not like you're on the precipice of being ruined as a financial guy. Like there are these things right. that are talking about like the whatever, whatever version of the British SEC is sort of investigating this latest like trade that he did. He sort of shorted the market on something and you get the sense that like, but you never get the sense that it would be anything more than a slap on the wrist. He's not like in danger. He's not yeah. ever really in danger of being usurped at his job by Rafe Spall. Like we don't really ever take that seriously in the movie. It's and, all just a lot of plot contrivance. Like yeah. it's happening because that's what has to happen. Every once in a while, he'll like, like call and check in with Archie Punjabi and she's like, Rafe Spall's getting very comfortable in your office. And it's like, <laughs> is he like, come on. Like, we don't. We don't and then this. it takes two seconds for him to pull a fast one on Rafe Spall to get Rafe Spall fired. Exactly. Like, exactly. There's no it, effort at all. There's zero stakes in this movie. Yes. And I don't think even, you know, that's fine when you're watching just like a laid back romantic comedy, mm-hmm. but the romance isn't really even developed that interestingly. For as much as I think Marion Cotillard is the best part of this movie, I still don't really buy into that romance with her and Russell Crowe. Right. Even when he, like, rolls up his sleeves and decides to be the waiter at her little outdoor cafe <laughs> because she's overwhelmed or whatever, um, I, that place's business model is a mystery to me that I would love to solve. Like, it's a, like, it's a lot of cliches. Who owns, does she too, own like, that? Does she own that place? Yes, but apparently she, is the on- she can't find wait she's staff. The only you know, COVID employee. has happened. She's the only employee no of that cafe. Staff anymore. Yeah, exactly. She has the worst clientele. They're all, like, obnoxious. Americans who want bacon bits on salads. Um, what does she want to? She wanted um, a niçoise. She, first of all, she butchers the pronunciation of niçoise. Uh, niçoise salad. Um with light ranch and bacon. Bits. Right, light ranch. Light ranch. That's a that's an easy shot at Americans and you know what I'll take it. I mean, that's fine. Yeah, it, it's too easy. Americans it's so love easy their ranch that, dressing like, and bacon bits. That's fine. Bacon bits that's disgusting. Um Wait, on anything or on niçoise salad? Bacon bits aren't bacon. No, there are way like Sure, that like bacon's bacon, isn't bacon on a salad. Sure, but like there fake are, bacon, bacon on a salad. But I think Ooh. there are places that do like bacon bits in a in a cafe like that. You would have like actual bacon. You would just like cook up bacon and crumble it. Yeah, it's not yeah. Like, you just chop it up. But it's not like they're, than, they've like, got like their like jar of bacon's like in the back or whatever. Right. Um. 
But anyway, Americans love uh, Americans love bacon. Americans love, they they take another shot at Americans um, for some, one of their culinary uh, uh, preferences, and now I can't remember it. But anyway, wine. It's a lot of the wine. Well, a lot. Stuff. It's a lot of taking shots yeah. at California. Can't wine. believe we haven't really talked about wine yet. Yeah, California wine is is a fruit punch. I think is essentially what the yeah. one person says. The Rude. this also should be. I, I expected even more of a wine movie, though. I guess you know it's two years removed from Sideways. How deep can they get into wine without seeming? That was one I of mean, Ridley's inspirations for this. Is like I really like Sideways. I wanted to make like my own little Sideways. <laughs> it's like okay, cool work. Um, but then go more into wine, even if you're just like ripping off Sideways in that way. Yeah. Like, you're just ripping off a bunch you of other movies. You did kind of too, wait for that else. one guy, the guy who sort of has been running the vineyard, to at some point impart what he finds so romantic or pleasing or satisfying about working with wine or working with grapes. Like, for as much as it would have also been like kind of perfunctory to have the like, you don't understand the vintage of this grape. This grape began its life as a small little seedling. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. but also the movie probably could have used a little bit more of that romantic romanticism to it. Um, so it at least gives him, this is, this is one of my other things. Like he doesn't end up selling the estate. Right. But he, like he engineers, he it. never gets attached to anything there. Like the movie's no. so enamored, like he doesn't even have a passion or a hobby. But does he even develop one by the end? He's like, just gonna be with Marion Cotillard and learn fr- learn French one word at a time. Learn like French one hundred one words where she teaches him like blue tree, but bird, at, like at the pace tree. they're going, he is going to be dead in the ground long before he's he's got conversational French. Right, um, right. Give that man some Duolingo. The <laughs> <laughs> but like you could get in this to make you know more of a character arc and yeah. make the movie more interesting he could start getting really into wine while he's there you never get the sense that he's about the grape. that no. he has any kind of there's any kind of danger of him getting into wine like at all not one bit it the does feel like he still would want to do finance. Why not? He doesn't ever become disillusioned with his life as he a finance guy. He just wants to be retired. Also, he's supposed to be us? like 35 in this movie. Also that, yeah. Which would, which was an LOL for me. Um, everything, like the pieces are there that like maybe they wouldn't have made an interesting movie, but a more like fun movie there's this jack russell terrier the whole movie who pees on his leg once i looked up and tried to see if that was no humor of just like a dog it wasn't uggy thank god was it uggy's dad oh god what if it is uggy's dad he actually doesn't have a credit in the movie so he could be like uncredited uggy but like in on uggy's wikipedia page he doesn't show up uh for this movie so i don't know um yeah like there's a lot of things about this movie that like could have become I would have taken a cuter version of this movie for as much as like cute is often a, a pejorative when it comes to movies but like right. I there's there's a degree of charm that's missing here and I think a lot of it is probably that just like this is not a very comfortable Russell Crowe performance. I don't think he's very um he ever really settles into this role. It is not in his wheelhouse, and I don't think he ever really makes it into his wheelhouse by the end of this movie. It's not like there's not top-name people who could have been appropriate for this role. Like, maybe Tom Hanks 
was too old for the role, but then again, so was Russell Crowe. I think casting like, an American would have been a tough a tough sell, regardless. But still... I mean, you're probably easier to cast a British person. Like, cast a Colin Firth. Cast a... Cast a Colin know, Firth. My goodness. Cast, cast a Pierce Brosnan. Cast a Hugh Grant. Like... Right! It is it is Russell Crowe trying to be Hugh Grant, and he is mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. It, it is not a skill set that he owns. Agreed. He has many other skills. He does. They do not include singing. They don't. What does uh, he sing in this? Uh, I don't think he sings in this. It's just I... Oh, okay. I'm, You're talking about Les Mis. I see. I see. My I see. trauma is Les Mis. Your trauma. All right. Let's talk about Marion Cotillard's career, though. Uh, she is my favorite part of this movie. Her and Finney. Like, it is always just funny to watch, like, it, fun to watch Albert Finney just sort of, like, get handed... The Albert Finney. Get handed a pass to just sort of just, like, just just live life theatrically. Like, be, be fun. <laughs> um... I like that. I like, he's just so likable. He's just so incredibly inherently likable. Um, do you remember when Julia Roberts, uh, in her Oscar acceptance speech just said like, I, I am fortunate to have Albert Finney as my friend and, or however she uh, puts it. And it's like, Oh, that's so sweet. I love the way she says that. Um, all right. Marion Cotillard up till this point, the movies that she's in that you had probably heard of, she's in A Very Long Engagement, a movie that I definitely saw and remember very little about. But she's essentially Same. like the third lead of that movie after Audrey Tattoo and Gaspard Ulliel, but don't quote me on that. She had been in Big Fish uh, a few years before this. She was the sort of ingenue co-starring with Albert Finney, actually. Um, In Big Fish, she actually gets to share scenes with Albert Finney in that movie, I believe. Um, Big Fish is a movie we should end up doing for our Patreon soon, because um, Uh that's a real interesting Oscar trajectory. I feel like a lot of people really expected that to be the movie that the Oscars were going to finally honor Tim Burton after years of him making very non-Oscary movies. And it just did not work out that way at all. Yeah. She's in all those taxi movies, the Luc Besson taxi movies. <laughs> um, she's in at least the taxi one, two, and three. I don't know if there are any more than that. Um, what other filmmakers did she end up working with? Um, sorry, I'm like, I should have probably been a little bit more prepared for this, but, um, yeah, she's a French actress. She's she's you know she's in a lot Primarily of French movies ahead of this movie, and then this movie is followed immediately by La Vie en Rose. She plays Edith Piaf. The critics love her. There are finally at last some angels in this city, and she wins. Uh, also, she Academy wins Award. in the the last strike year. So, like, yeah. there was a strike going on during that Oscar season. It delayed right. the Globes. Or, no, there was no Globes that year because it, of it. The Globes were a weird little uh, mm-hmm. uh, extra uh, episode of Extra, episode of Entertainment Tonight or whatever. Um, so, follows up her Oscar win with Michael Mann's Public Enemies. And great. She's great in that movie. Nine, which we talked about on our Patreon. Go sign up for our Patreon and listen to that episode. She's also in a 
French movie called The Last Flight, which uh, is loosely based on the events surrounding the disappearance of British aviator Bill Lancaster. So there is that. Um, she's top billed in that. Uh, then she is in Inception in 2010 with Christopher Nolan. She's in Midnight in Paris and Contagion in 2011. She gets Oscar buzz again for Rust and Bone, the um, the Jacques Odiard movie in 2012. Shows up all season for that movie and then isn't Oscar nominated. Yes. She's like at the very last minute it sort of gets... That's a movie that I remember a lot of people liked. And then as the season went on, people were like, is this a good movie? Like, she also... Dances right. with an orca whale to, um, is it Firework? Katy Perry's Firework. Firework, right? <laughs> Katy Perry's Firework. Yep. Um, she's also in The Dark Knight Rises in 2012, and she's kind of like, whatever, you had your chance to watch The Dark Knight Rises Unspoiled. She's the twist in that movie, where she, it seems like she's just the love interest for Bruce Wayne, and it turns out she's Talia al Ghul uh, the whole really time. really unsatisfying, but uh, it's not her fault, even no. though her on-screen death has been memed and it is very funny <laughs> is. but uh yeah. that movie's a mess it is a mess but i think there are there are things about that movie that i really like she unfortunately is not among them she follows that up with 2013's the immigrant james gray's the immigrant which people really really um or that's 2014 right but it 2014 in the u.s in the u.s it debuts at the 2013 well the saga of the immigrant which we should cover on this uh podcast eventually great movie great performance it gets essentially like uh it becomes a uh topic of contention between james gray and harvey weinstein and essentially the the vibe publicly was that Harvey Weinstein was vindictively not campaigning it for Oscars because he was mad at James Gray. And so the critical establishment sort of decides to get behind the immigrant and behind Marion Cotillard for an Oscar nomination. And after all of that effort, what did it do? But it got her an Oscar nomination just for a different movie entirely. She got it nominated for Two Days, One Night. Which also had goodwill building towards it because... It wasn't the French submission. It either wasn't the French submission or it didn't make the bake-off list. Right, right, right. My favorite Marion Cotillard performance of that year, though, uh, is she's an anchorman too. The legend continues in the big sort of anchor fight uh, battle in, in the middle of that movie where she's a Canadian TV. It's her and Jim Carrey are the Canadian television and she's the French Canadian uh, anchor. I don't know. I enjoyed her. Um, we should do her and Michael Fassbender's Macbeth for this podcast at some point. The She's Purcell, Macbeth. tremendous in it, but that movie is a snooze. I think we should do it anyway. Um, 2016, she's an allied with Brad Pitt, and there's all of these rumors that they had an affair on set. Everybody's sort of expecting him to trade Angelina Jolie for her in this sort of like never-ending... Um, I don't know, just like chain of leading actresses for him that everybody sort of assumed that, that was going to happen. And then it never did. She makes an iconic Instagram post among her many other uh, fun posts, uh, including some that maybe have uh, been a 9-11 truther. Anyway, I was going to say, this um, is around the time when the 9-11 truther thing uh, started to really take hold. 
she posts something like, I'm doing very well, thank you. I stay out of other people's private lives. Actually, my husband and I are expecting another child. Her husband, who she had done multiple films for as well. Right. Um, also in 2016, uh, she is in Xavier Dolan's uh, can-winning but career killer. It's only the end it's of the world. It's only the end of the world, right. which I have seen, and it is fine. <laughs> uh, don't know why people were so... Uh, worked up about it about hating that movie yeah she kind of like sort of drifts for a little while and then i think makes a triumphant mini she goes back to more french movies yeah Yeah. makes a triumphant though mini comeback in annette and we need to do annette soon i love annette i love that is a great movie (laughs) and that's fantastic and that's so much fun um and then the only sort of she was in uh the Arnaud how do we pronounce Arnaud's last name? De Plachens. De Plachens, uh movie Brother and Sister that played Can in twenty twenty two and then never saw also the light of eviscerated. day ever again. Um yeah, people did not like that one at all. And then this year, she's in another festival movie that uh has been um memory hold, essentially. Immediately memory hold, which is Poor Ellen Curris, who, like, is a fantastic uh, DP and did the cinematography for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, so will always have a place in my heart. But she directed the Kate Winslet movie Lee that played Tiff and disappeared. So there's still a chance for someone to buy it and release it in the I'm kind of surprised that Marion's never gotten a follow-up Oscar nomination. After, after her Rose. second, yeah, yeah. After her first, she didn't get a second. She's two no, days, right, one two night. Days, we were just talking about it. We just said, right, right, right. yeah. Um, but even that just feels but like there's a there's a lot of things that feel like she's either gotten close or heavily yes, like in the conversation for that don't yes end up working out yeah. But it's also cool that all of her nominations have been in the French language. So that is cool. I wonder if she can make it three for three. That's interesting. Um. What is else? What else is there really to talk about? I guess we could talk about Freddie Highmore. Okay, Freddie Highmore is the only uh, cast member of this movie to get a major nomination for anything. He gets nominated for uh, Critics' Choice Award for Best Younger Actor, which by this point he had already starred in Finding Neverland. He got a SAG nomination for Finding Neverland. Is that am I remembering that correctly? Oh, that seems highly probable. He probably won the Critics' Choice Young Actor Award for Finding Neverland. So this is two years later. He gets nominated for Best Younger Actor. He loses to Paul Dano for Little Miss Sunshine, which is of this competition is the right call. He's nominated also against Cameron Bright for Thank You for Smoking, Joseph Cross for Running with Scissors, and Jaden Smith for The Pursuit of Happiness. So I think Paul Dano's the right call. There. And also because they were splitting it by uh, gender, it was also his and her wins because Abigail, Abigail Breslin, Breslin on en route to her Oscar nomination. Freddie yeah. Highmore has two Critics' Choice Awards for Young Actor, uh, Finding Neverland, and can you guess the other one? Is it for television? No. Then no, I can't. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, sure. Also nominated for August Factory. Rush. Sure, sure. Um, wait, I want to see if he was SAG nominated, though. He was. Um, he was supporting he was. actor nominated in SAG. Unreal, unreal. Okay, so we talked about 
when we did our Inside Man episode last week, we talked about the Best Picture race. We didn't really go beyond that in terms of the 2006 Oscars. I understand that Russell Crowe is not good in a good year, so like he wouldn't have, but like he was definitely at the beginning of that year buzzed among the best actor contenders. As and he I want to sort of been for anything. This is a really odd year for best actor in that like it does not sh- shake out the way people expected in a lot of different ways. I remember there was a while there where people were assuming that Forrest Whitaker was going to be a supporting contender for The Last King of Scotland because it was going to be James McAvoy's movie, which it sort of is. James McAvoy is your POV character, and Forrest Whitaker is almost the Hannibal Lecter of mm-hmm. this movie. And But like once you see the movie, you obviously see the... Um, it is interesting that Forrest Whitaker kind of like steamrolls this entire season, and it's not that his performance isn't good. It's a very good performance. But I think his competition is really scattered to the winds this year. Like, they, people weren't ever really able to nail down what Leonardo DiCaprio performance, whether Leo was a lead or a supporting character in The Departed, which I think is weird. Of course, it's Leo and Matt Damon are the two leads of The Departed. Like, that's silly. Um But then he ends up getting the Oscar nomination for Blood Diamond instead of The Departed. So that, I think, takes a lot of momentum away from DiCaprio. I think there's a universe in which Blood Diamond is sort of de-emphasized and Leonardo is nominated in lead for The Departed and maybe, like, makes a proper run at winning Best Actor. Maybe. Mm -hmm. I think Whitaker's probably winning it no matter what. Um, But this also has, like, Peter O'Toole getting the Late in Life nomination for Venus, and yet... Just after, or a few years after, his honorary win. Right. And you would have thought, maybe it's... I mean, the Paul Newman comparisons were good, in that Paul Newman won his first competitive Oscar, I believe, the year after he won an honorary Oscar. Uh, So I think, like, there was that. But I don't think there was ever any real momentum behind Peter O'Toole of just like, oh, just give it to him. He's, you know, he's been nominated all these times. He's never won. And that never really materialized. Maybe perhaps perhaps because nobody really saw Venus. Yeah. He was Um, still probably second place. I think that's probably... Distant second place, but second place. Will Smith doing his, like, kind of... Kind of a craven Oscar play with The Pursuit of Happiness, right? Where it's this very aggressively inspirational movie and now we would call it craven i think we fell for this type of thing at that time yeah, in the we aughts did. absolutely without question yeah. i don't think you know people loved the movie but that no you know, they didn't that's what and then right right place Ryan Gosling then gets his first ever nomination for Half Nelson, a nomination that I remember people being very, very doubtful that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Small um, movie. A very small movie, very indie. And at the time, Ryan Gosling wasn't really... I know he would have been in The Believer and whatnot, but I don't think people had really thought of Ryan Gosling on that level of being an Oscar nominee yet. He was so young. And so that ends up happening. I think uh, looking at the like ancillary contenders that year... It's weird to me that Matt Damon never became 
a contender for The Departed because I think he gives the best performance in The Departed. I, on my recent rewatch, I was feeling the same. Th- I don't know if I agree that he gives the best performance in the movie, but I do think he gives one of his best performances. And I was He's really good. Yeah. He was just not in any conversation at he really wasn't. all that whole nope. season. Nobody talked about his performance because people talked about i remember people even talking about alec baldwin for that scene that he blows up which is martin sheen got got a lot of discussion like there's everybody sort of got some ink for that movie except except for matt damon and that was the same year that he was in the good shepherd and i think a lot of people were sort of like why mentally assuming that was going to happen but then when that didn't happen the buzz never like transferred back over to how good he is in the departed um, DiCaprio was nominated at the Golden Globes twice in Best Actor in a Drama for both of his big performances. Another thing that I think ends up diluting his buzz is that, like, everybody knew he couldn't get nominated at the Oscars for both. The Oscars don't allow that to happen. The Golden Globes are craven and shameless, and they, you know, will do that, right. and that's fine. Um, uh, the comedy nominees, Sasha Baron Cohen wins Actor in a Comedy for Borat. That is a little bit of a fool's gold, I think, for people following the Oscars that year. A lot of people were like, maybe Sasha Baron Cohen could take that fifth slot or whatever. And that well, and Borat has a screenplay nomination, so... That's true. That's true. Um, but then your other comedy nominees that year, Johnny Depp for the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie, Aaron Eckhart for Thank You for Smoking, Shuatel Ejiofor for Kinky Boots, Will Ferrell for Stranger Than Fiction... I don't think any of those latter three really ever amassed much of a threat no. towards a nomination. And then you go and look at your SAG nominees. That's the one where DiCaprio gets nominated twice, but in two categories. They really tried to make it happen with a double nomination for DiCaprio that year. They nominated him in Supporting for the Departed, which is a bullshitty distinction, and Lead for Blood Diamond. Their lead actor uh, nominees at the SAG that year were exactly the same as the Oscars. And then, what was the BAFTAs that year? I have BAFTA pulled up. I'm getting to best actor. Uh, Forrest Whitaker still wins, which tells you, you know, Peter O'Toole was never going to win. Though, Last King of Scotland was a British production. Uh... Kevin MacDonald is Scottish, I believe. Yeah. Something to that extent. Yeah. Richard Griffiths is nominated by BAFTA in lead, for what? as was Daniel Craig for Casino oh, for Royale. Richard Griffiths for the History Boys. Yes, which Richard Griffiths was and won the Tony. Correct, but I believe campaigned as supporting, mm-hmm. which I raised right. some eyebrows, but I think makes perfect sense for the movie we got to do the history boys again people have we ever mentioned the fact that like the history we boys is our last have. episode when we when we before we launched we did some test episodes no was this our... was after we had started this was supposed to be our like third episode and we recorded it and the audio was so bad that we scrapped it <laughs> yeah That's no that great. wasn't even one of our test episodes it was it was i think supposed to follow tulip fever and the audio was so bad that we were just like let's just like move on to the next one and uh so we got to do the history boys again so who are the other bafta nominees uh it's whitaker wins uh, dicaprio is nominated for the departed for the departed uh, Peter yeah. O'Toole, Daniel Craig, and Richard Griffiths. So it's a really weird. It's a really weird year for Best Actor. Best Actor usually doesn't get this weird because usually Best Actor has a lot of like Best Picture 
crossover, mm-hmm. and this year it really didn't. Besides The Departed, Babel did not have any lead actors. Uh, Letters from Iwo Jima was a foreign language movie that like Late starred breaking. Ken Watanabe, and like that was always going to be a hurdle for Oscar voters. It's also Little a mis- pretty ensemble focus too. Yep. Like you can say Ken Watanabe's the lead; he'd already had a nomination, an acting nomination. Yeah. Little Miss Sunshine pushed everybody as supporting. And I don't think they would have done any better had they pushed, say, Greg Kinnear as a lead. Right. Even though I think Greg Kinnear would have been deserving of a nomination. I have him as one of my supporting nominees because I went with Little Miss Sunshine pushing everybody as supporting. And that's fine with me because I think it's a true ensemble. And then the Queen doesn't have a lead actor. Like, Michael Sheen is the the top male in that movie and he's definitely supporting so like it's an odd year where best picture doesn't have very much crossover with actor that usually is definitely not the case it definitely this was a year where best picture doesn't have very many lead performances like it's kind of amazing how of the five best picture nominees you could only really pick out helen mirren Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio as And like, then like the sixth place movie was probably Dream Girls, which is also very, you know, spreading the wealth. Well, and they were not going to nominate Beyonce as a lead, you know what I mean, in that movie. So Nor would I say they would have nominated Jimmy Fox for that movie. No, they wouldn't have. So like it's a really odd 2006 is a low-key, super weird Oscar year, and we don't yeah. talk about it enough. Yeah. It's not a really... an Oscar year I love either (laughs) no but i also think it's like it's messy in really fun ways that was the year where like the departed really coalesced as a best picture front runner kind of late there was a while there where like people were like oh maybe it's going to be Babel. maybe it's going to be little miss sunshine is going to be the sort of like the little movie that could and people you know it was there was a lot of moving parts at the 06 Oscar race. I think it's kind of fascinating. So, Gosling being probably a best case scenario nominee, and it happens. And it happened, right? Exactly. Um, I would even I in, like, would maybe pour categories. one out for Aaron Eckhart, who has never been nominated, and this was probably the closest he ever would have came to a nomination. That's true. Thank you for smoking. Is what it's the Jason Reitman debut, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. A movie that feels that like movie. we have done, but we have not. We've done so many Jason Reitman movies. We've done, yeah, it's the one Jason Reitman we haven't done. Did that get no, a No, we haven't done Labor Day yet? either. Oh, God, Labor Day. Not Labor Day. <laughs> Labor Day um, is so bad. So bad. Oh, God. So, so bad. bad. Um, all right, what else did we want to talk about in this? Fox, I want to talk about Fox's... Uh, this was kind of the Fox Awards movie that year the 20th mm-hmm. century fox and like fox searchlight is a major sort of asterisk for this and that like all of the there are years where like the fox awards hopes just get like entirely shunted to fox searchlight and that would have been little miss sunshine this year right little miss sunshine yes. with searchlight yeah so that makes a lot of sense but like fox little miss sunshine proper, and last king of scotland and i think venus as well no was it I will look that up. Keep look talking. up Fox Searchlight while I re- recite, um, because a lot of the biggest Fox stuff awards-wise in 2006 was stuff where they were not the primary distributor also. So there was like, um, uh, whatcha call it, 
uh, sorry, I'm scrolling, 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 scrolling. Um, the Fountain, which was Warner a Brothers. Warner Brothers movie, but uh, Fox did international distribution. Apocalypto, which was a Touchstone movie, hilarious that Apocalypto was a Touchstone movie. Um, that Fox did international distribution for. So really, like it kind of was the Devil Wears Prada was the Fox Awards contender that year, somewhat backdoor, right? Like uh, this is the I Fox think... Searchlight lineup. Okay. Thank you for smoking. Little Miss Sunshine. Last King of Scotland. Fast Food Nation, which didn't go anywhere. History Boys, right. which kind of didn't go anywhere. Right. Notes on a Scandal. And from Canada, Water. Oh, wow. That's a good year for Fox Searchlight. Good for Fox Searchlight. Excellent. Um, is there anything else we want to say before we move into the IMDb game? No, let's do it. Let's go to the IMDb game. All right, Chris, why don't you tell our listeners what the IMDb game is? Listeners, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Free-for-all of hints. Chris, would you like to give our guess first? Uh, I want to guess first today. Okay, so I went into the vast Ridley Scott filmography. I went into one of his Russell Crowe movies, the one that I have not seen, which is uh, Robin Hood. I've still never seen the Ridley Scott (laughs) Robin Hood. Uh, I haven't seen it either. The guy who plays Robin Hood's father in that, Sir Walter Loxley, is Max von Sydow. Robin of Loxley. Yes. I will watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Probably five more times before I watch Ridley Scott's uh, Robin Hood. <laughs> Not out of spite, just because like that's just how I roll, and I will watch Prince of Thieves a lot. Anyway, how many times no will television... you watch Robin Hood Men in Tights before you watch Ridley Scott's Robin Hood? I have watched Robin Hood Men in Tights in my lifetime probably like ten times. I've watched that movie a lot. It was on Comedy <laughs> Central a lot. Also, when we won Videology Trivia the one season and got to watch a movie in uh, in a private viewing in the back, that was one of the ones that we chose was Robin Hood Men fabulous, in Tights. Fabulous, fabulous. All right, Max von Sydow, no television, no voice performance. Um, I, I'm going to put a pin in any like Bergman films or something like Pele the Conqueror because I just feel like the algorithm is not going to favor those movies. But okay. I am going to say The Exorcist. Not The Exorcist. Fuck off, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. David Gordon Green wins again. Um <laughs> Uh, extremely loud and incredibly close. Correct. Extremely loud and incredibly close. Great. His, um, his Oscar nomination for that. All right. Then I'm going to say the seventh seal. Seventh seal. Correct. There we go. Um, so that's at least one of them. Pele the Conqueror, he was, I believe, nominated. I think that is a foreign language winner. It was a Palm winner. And I think he got Best Actor at Cannes, too. So I guess I'll say Pele the Conqueror. It's a good guess, but it's not correct. So that's okay. your second. Uh, so your years are 1980 and 2002. Okay. Didn't he do Woody Allen movies? So is uh, is 1980 a Woody Allen? No. Okay. Um, These are both genre movies. Yeah, yeah. It's not horror, but like, well, 80 could be horror, I suppose. It's not. Oh, two is horror. No, no. 
Um, Abe is a movie whose title is very familiar. I've never seen it. His character is also. It's like a drag. Is it like Excalibur or a movie like it? No, it's way more genre than Excalibur. It's not like Dragon Lancery, though. No, no. But it's fantasy. Yeah, fantasy sci-fi. Oh, he's in. It's not. It's not like a Star Trek knockoff, but it's like it's not aliens. Not yeah, or like other planets. Yeah. What is this? It's it's not. It's also um, racially insensitive. Oh, I can imagine. His role. No, his role in particular. Oh, right, because he's he's supposed to be like Asian. Yeah, sort of it's, Asian it's, coded. It's um, it's like Flash Gordon. It is Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon. exactly Flash Gordon. He yeah, plays yeah, yeah, Ming yeah. the Merciless in Flash Gordon. And O two is uh, O two is a movie I really like. Um, it's by a very famous director. Yeah. He is the secret bad guy. Sorry, everybody, you had a very long time to see this movie. <laughs> Unspoiled. Uh, secret bad guy. Max von Sydow shows in a movie. You should probably anticipate uh-huh. him being potential uh-huh. secret bad guy. Uh-huh. Oh, two. And it's an action movie. It's a sci-fi action movie. Sci-fi action in O2. It's very, very sort of futuristic movie. in a way that has is like... Is it Minority Report? It is Minority Report. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's the secret bad guy in Minority Report. God, he was the bad guy in Minority Report. that he was in it at all. Yep. I just remember the scene in Minority Report when Lois Smith shows up and says Minority Report. And, and makes out with a plant, more or less. Like, Good for her. Good for her. Also, like kisses Tom Cruise full on the mouth. Like it's it's a really delicious. It is a delicious performance by Lois <laughs> Smith. For like it's a good six minute performance where she just like absolutely devours the screen. It's so good. All right, Chris, what do you have for me? So for you, I simply went into the Oscars of that year and I chose for you the supporting actor winner, Mr. Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin. Okay. I'm going to say that Little Miss Sunshine is one of them. Correct. Is Glenn Gary Glenn Ross one of them? Yes. Well okay. done. All right. Uh, is Argo one of them? Argo, fuck yourself, sir. You are. You have the potential to get a perfect score. I'm going to say if you get one, it will be wild to me, but okay. you never know. Is it Wait Until Dark? It is not Wait Until Dark. Cool call, though. Alan Arkin inventing sunglasses in that movie. (laughs) Um, Is it like The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, which is his other Oscar nomination? Incorrect. Uh, So you get your year. Your year is 1990. Alan Arkin, 1990. He is giving a very Alan Arkin performance but absolutely nobody talks about him being in this movie. Edward Scissorhands. Duh, you got it already. It's Edward Scissorhands. I love him in Edward Scissorhands. How wild he's is it that so it's on his known for right now? It is kind of wild, but he's legitimately great. I thought he and Weist should have both been nominated for that. He, The way he sort of imparts like good moral judgment lessons onto Edward is just very, very charming to me in that movie. I love him so much. Um... 
That's a good one. That's an interesting known four for Alan Arkin. I like that. All right. Um, good episode, everybody. Good, uh, good great episode. episode. Great episode. Good year. Um, <laughs> uh, also, the opening title cards, which they were like several vintages ago. It's like, that all was cute. Right. I thought that was cute. But it promises more whimsy than the movie delivers, to right, be honest. Right. Like, I don't know. Okay, that's our episode. If you want more of this at Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at uh, had underscore Oscar underscore buzz and our Instagram at thisheadoscarbuzz at thisheadoscarbuzz. And also check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash thisheadoscarbuzz. Come join us, listeners. Come join us, Gary. Come join us, Gary. Um... I'm doing The Shining. I'm doing the, the. We are in spooky season. Our listeners are not come, currently. Come in play season. with us, Garys. Come play with us. All right, Chris. Where can the listeners find more of you? Twitter and Letterbox at Chris V File. That's F E I L. I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mubius for their technical guidance, and Taylor Cole for his theme song. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever else you get your podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so make Tom Hollander ice down your back for a while and then uh, write us a nice review. We didn't talk about that, did we? Um, Kind of erotic. Kind of like the hottest scene in the movie is Tom Hollander icing down Abby Cornish's back. I didn't really find it erotic. I found it uncomfortable i didn't i want they were my they were my otp after this they were my one true pair after this all right that's all for this week but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz